0: I had this property downtown. I was living in the suburbs and I was renovating it. And I'd been staying in a whole bunch of short-term rentals. And I'm like, you know what? I want to move downtown, um, but I want to try this short-term rental thing. So I'm going to furnish it and put it up. And if it rents, then cool, I'll do that. But if not, I'll just move into it. Right. Um, So I put it up and it's just been booked like, you know, every day, like just nonstop. I still have that one um, from five years ago. So, so after that, I, I started just looking for properties that um, that worked as long-term rentals. You know, I have good like foundation, but that that I could convert into short-term rentals. And so that's what I've uh, been focusing on for the last five years.
1: So mm-hmm. yeah, and that's a key that we talk about a lot because yes, the short-term rentals make you substantially more money. But we always suggest you want to run the numbers both ways, so that if regulations yeah. change or anything changes, something comes up, you can. You're not going to be losing money if you have to rent it out on a 12-month lease. So that's- What's going on, STR Nation? Welcome back to another episode of the Short-Term Rental Secrets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Shogren, here with my main man and brother from another mother, Mr. Emmanuel Pani. What is up, E?
2: My brother. Life is good. Life is a blessing. Um, just closing another unit yesterday. Um, as our listeners know, um, I have my, my passion project, which is my apartment complex down in South Florida that I started working in as a maintenance guy uh, 10 years ago. Um, so close on the 39 out of 40 unit yesterday um, so there's one more to go so we're at ninety seven point five percent ownership of that of the community um so that's been great very very surreal moment man like when you when you're there at the closing table telling the real estate attorney kind of what your your life story has been um it feels like it's kind of flown by uh but it was it was good. Love that
1: man! Congrats! I know you've been you've been pushing heavy on that for like yeah. a year and a half to try yeah. and acquire all of them. So
2: yeah, since we've known each other too, right? Like when when we first met, I I had I had twelve. Yeah, five years ago. So yeah, love that man. Well, uh, I am very excited to
1: bring on today's guest, who uh, we connected with through a mastermind that you are a part of, GoBundance, and. Uh, Without further ado, I'm just going to get right into his bio because I want to uh, pick his brain on a lot of amazing things that he has going on. So today we have Tim Hubbard on the show with us. Tim started his career in real estate uh, as an investment broker selling multifamily and commercial properties in Northern California. He worked with a small team of five who completed cumulatively over $2 billion in transactions. He has been personally investing in real estate for the last 10 years and since has acquired a multi-million dollar portfolio comprised primarily of small multifamily properties in multiple markets. He's traveled extensively throughout the world in over 70 countries and stayed in hundreds of different short-term rental accommodations. About five years ago, he realized the high returns that could be made from converting properties into furnished short-term rental units and renting them by the night. He founded and acts as CEO for Midtown Stays, a short-term rental accommodation company which has successfully accommodated over 15,000 guests with excellent reviews from all over the world. He continues to expand with the help of his teams and manages everything remotely from his home in Medellin, Colombia. He also teaches others to do the same thing and shows them how they can successfully increase their income three, four, or even eight times by implementing the right strategies to convert existing long-term rentals into nightly rentals through his live events and podcasts. He holds a degree in international business and an MBA from the University of California of Davis and is a co-founder of the Amazon best-selling book, Resilience, Turning Your Setback into a Comeback. Man, that is a hell of a bio. Welcome to the show. Tim. Yeah,
0: geez. Hey, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Excited to be here.
1: Yeah, It's great.
0: great. Excited to be here. And congrats, uh, Manuel. That's pretty awesome. Uh, thanks, man. Congrats on closing on the new units. It's good to yeah, hear.
2: Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um, I, I absolutely love your guys' website, by the way. If you're looking uh, to kind of see what Thames properties, where they're at, it's midtownstays.com. Um, mm, cool. Super clean website, great pictures. Um, But yeah, Tim, why don't you tell us kind of like where the, where the aha moment was?
0: Yeah. um, Well, you know, yeah, like um, I guess in the intro said, I've been in real estate for quite a while and was doing traditional rentals for the the first half of my career, I guess. And actually, you know, working as a broker and I had some, I had this property downtown. I was living in the suburbs and I was renovating it. And I'd been staying in a whole bunch of short-term rentals, and I'm like, you know what? I, I want to move downtown, um, but I want to try this short-term rental thing. So I'm going to furnish it and put it up, and if it rents, then cool, I'll do that. But if not, I'll just move into it, right? Um, so I put it up, and it's just been booked like, you know, every day, like just nonstop. I still have that one um, from five years ago. So, so after that, I I started just looking for properties that. Um, that worked as long-term rentals, you know, I have good like foundation, but that, that I could convert into short-term rentals. And so that's what I, have uh, been focusing on for the last five years.
1: So, yeah. And that's a key that we talk about a lot because yes, the short-term rentals make you substantially more money, but we always suggest you want to run the numbers both ways so that if regulations yeah. change or anything changes, something comes up, you can, you're not going to be losing money if you have to rent it out on a 12 month lease. So that's, that's huge.
0: Great point. Yeah, it's great. That, that, it's the best backup plan, right? I mean, you can feel feel safe and secure now and you can always put long term
1: tenants in there. So absolutely. You know. So what was what so, was yeah. the road <clears throat> you know, what has it been like over the last five years? So you started with that one unit. Now you're in three mm-hmm. different markets Sacramento, Memphis, and Oklahoma City. So what's that journey mm-hmm. been for you as you started to scale that up?
0: Well, I was I was looking for properties outside of California because you know, prices had gotten really high. I wasn't finding returns really there. So I kind of just set out and went to quite a few different places in the U S actually looking for long-term rentals again, because I wanted to just get some turnkey rentals and call it a day. Um, but as I was looking for them in these other properties and meeting with management companies, I was staying in short-term rentals in these different cities. And I remember staying in one, I, I went out to Memphis and I remember staying in this one and I was paying them you know, I don't know, like 70, 80 bucks a night or something at that time. And I'm like, you know, I wonder how much this property costs. So I look it up and I'm like, holy smokes, like this is a fraction of the cost of the properties in California, you know? So just realized like the returns can be so much better just, just by changing the area. And um, so I ended up finding an eight unit apartment building there that was fully rented with long-term tenants, but it was pretty pretty, uh, it needed a lot of love, I guess you could say. So, um, I actually left California and moved to Tennessee and just kind of worked on that first project with contractors and converted them all into short-term rentals. And then from there, I was just like, holy smokes, you know, this is doing really well. So I kept looking for more properties and then, uh, I've sold some stuff in California since and did some exchanges and that kind of got me into Oklahoma uh, but basically, you know, I was just looking for markets that had good fundamentals, you know, as long term rentals and population growth and looked like they were headed in the right direction. So that's what brought me out to Tennessee and and Oklahoma City.
2: Yeah, that's great. So um, for, for our listeners, so there is a couple of different models that people usually use from what your story is. You are more of, of the buy and hold investor, right? So all of these properties that you have, you own and then you choose to do uh vacation rentals with is that correct that's correct yeah yeah although you know
0: i um i I know about the other ways to make money with short-term rentals obviously Mm -hmm. you know lease arbitrage and and i think that can be really good as well i'm actually i just got a today a lease back from an owner um who has 10 units in memphis like it used to be an old hotel and he converted all of them and he's got a restaurant below and he reached out and said, Hey, you know, would you be interested in leasing these? And I met with him a couple times and we just worked a deal. So I'm gonna do the lease arbitrage one as well. You know, um, I've got some good outs in the in the leases if if things don't work out, but um, you know, it's it's the same operations, right? They're operated yeah. exactly the same way, just oh, a different bit of a different model.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I love that. And I love that because um the vibe that I get from you is this very chill vibe. I'm like Yeah, I'm just yeah. Why not? I'm just gonna do this. But like at the same time, like I I'm the same way, and that's a lot of the times how you get how you get shit done, right? Like it it doesn't have to be this crazy. Especially real estate. Like I tell people all the time, real estate is a really dumb business. Like it's very very simple. People overcomplicate it, and you just sometimes you just gotta be like. I'm going to jump in and if it doesn't work out, it doesn't work out and I'm going to turn it back into, into long-term rental. Um, mm-hmm. So what, so you are based, you live in Medellin, Colombia, like yeah, South America. Yeah. Okay. That's what I thought Mike said. South America. Yeah. So, south of you. South <laughs> of me one. even. Yeah. I'm yeah. usually South America uh, for most yeah. Americans. Florida is like the, the pretty much, but yeah. So what does your yeah. team look like? Like, do you, you have cleaners, you have, VAs, what kind of walk us through that?
0: So it's a little different in each of the cities. Um, you know, in the in Sacramento and Oklahoma, I have less short term rentals. So we use like professional housekeeping. Um, although at Sacramento, I have someone that's worked for me for quite a long time. That's where I started. Um, and so she kind of just helps manage everything. Um, I use Guesty online. So that helps with a lot of our reservations and all that. But my main team is in Memphis where I have most of my properties. So yeah, we have multiple housekeepers. We have uh, some maintenance contractors that we work with really frequently. Um, and then I have another, uh, buddy, it's like an operations manager, he's actually virtual from California. Um, and aside from that and some other virtual, you know, positions like bookkeeping and, uh, you know, accountants and lawyers and stuff like that, it's, it's pretty much on the ground. It's just housekeeping and, and maintenance, you know?
1: Yeah. That's such a good point. Cause I, I see so many fe- people they are afraid to kind of go outside of their market, or there's this fear of like, oh, I need it to be in my back door. Short term rentals, long term rentals, whatever. Right. But mm-hmm. the beauty of, of this business model is you can run a really lean operation. Right. Like you, you need the boots on the ground, like those contractors and cleaning crews, but the back end of like running the reservations the communication, uh-huh. when you have the right technology and maybe a VA or two like mm-hmm. in place, like it's seamless. Like if you know yeah. how to set up the systems. So
0: yeah, for sure. And, and it allows you to go, like if you set it up in one market, you can just use that same system for whatever market you go to, uh, which is a really cool part. And then you're just finding, you know, the the housekeeping and maintenance. So yeah, it does make it a lot easier to scale and to kind of branch out, you know?
1: Yeah. And so just to give us a little clarity, how many properties do you have in each of those markets? So we can get a sense of like where you're concentrated.
0: Um, yeah, I have. I guess I just sold eight properties actually, um, which was pretty cool. But they they were like my least performing ones, and they had a ton of equity. So I'm gonna. I've got some other plans for that. But uh, so I've got fifty units, um, but not all of them are short term. Uh, Thirty two short term. Uh, I only have four left in in California. Um, I have a nine unit building in Oklahoma. That's a really cool like, historic building, and I've, I've only converted one into a short-term rental. I was going to do the whole building, but that little uh, COVID thing happened in uh, March. And just, <laughs> the uh, little, you know. That
2: little global pandemic thing happened. Yeah.
0: So I uh, kind of just kept the long-term tenants in there for the meantime. But I would say when things pick up, I'll probably plan is convert all those, and then the rest are in uh, Memphis.
1: Nice. That's great. I love that. And so are you still doing the commercial brokerage stuff, or are you just letting the properties kind of fund the lifestyle now? Yeah, yeah, just the, just the
0: properties. when I, um, when I left California, I, I you know quit being a broker, but it was an awesome experience. I mean we you know we did all kinds of really cool deals. It was We only did investments and it was mainly apartment buildings, but we did shopping centers and land and warehouse and everything, so I got a ton of good experience and you know, for underwriting things and due diligence and all that. So um, I was going to ask that question,
1: right? Because being a a commercial broker like that, you really learn how to run the numbers and understand that. So how did that, Mm -hmm. when you're analyzing markets, you know, especially for a lot of the newer folks that aren't experienced in real estate, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things, like I know you mentioned population growth, job growth, things like that. But when you're analyzing the numbers, like it's almost like you have a different eye for it because you've been doing it at such a high level so what are what's kind of your mm-hmm. thought process when you're analyzing deals?
0: Well, I think it all comes down to the numbers right so uh, if I'm looking at these properties as a long term rental first, then I need to know what the rents are uh, and if they're vacant what the market rents are so we can find those pretty easily with rent comps and stuff like that so that's the big one if it's already leased you know we just want to make sure people are actually paying the leases so get a copy of the lease, get a copy of the rent rolls. And, uh, and then aside from that, you know, our taxes, property taxes and utilities, and, uh, maybe any sort of common area expenses, the, the property would have if it's, you know, a commercial property. Um, yeah, you know, there's all kinds of calculators these days. We can just, uh, I have a cool one I use on my iPad, but I basically just plug everything in and as it is actually, you know, and then plug in what I think it can do. Uh, and for me, for short-term rental, if, it, if it's not, if I don't think I can do at least like three times the long-term rent, then I'm probably not going to convert it in, into a short-term rental. Um, but yeah, I think uh, one of the things that, you know, I discovered leaving California too is, you know, a big piece of the investment puzzle, I think, is legislations and places that are landlord-friendly. Uh, mm-hmm. And the places that aren't landlord friendly, I've found that those are typically the places that are more strict on short-term rentals too, you know, at least uh, in a lot of places. So, you know, when I went to Tennessee, for example, it was just so much easier to work there. I remember calling the city and I'm like, because uh, I made it illegal in Sacramento, actually where, you know, where I'd started, there was no rules. And then all of a sudden they came up with a rule. And uh, and now, unless you're an owner occup- occupant, you can't, you can't technically do it. So... Um unless you have a permit, but there was like, I tried for like six months to get a permit out there and there, nothing was happening. So, so I went to to Tennessee and I remember calling into the city and someone picked up the phone at the city, which was surprising. First of all, and I'm like, Hey, I'm, you know, I'm looking at doing these short term rentals and uh you know, long story short, we can do them there and it was easy, but they, it just made it a lot easier. So I think the, the, the legislation and and that is, um, can, can make a big difference to where the
1: properties are.
2: Yeah. I people love, ask I us love all the time,
1: point. like, how do yeah. we get around the legislation? I'm like, just don't even try Go somewhere where you can do it and it just make your life right? so much yeah. easier.
2: Yeah. yeah just yeah. move. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Especially you oh, California people. I find it so funny because um, we have this running joke of the California people are like, it is the best weather it is amazing. I'm like, have you come to Florida? Like we have just as great of a weather and we're not, slammed by regulations like we've been open this entire time right going to the gym and, and right. restaurants are back open and everything else um have right. you this is just out of my own personal curiosity have you thought about expanding operations in of colombia since since you're there
0: you know i have thought about it um they're actually really strict here in medellin where i am um, they, they're the regulations are pretty strict uh, and then the other thing in like in terms of investment as a foreigner, you can't really get financing here. So it's it's all cash. And that just, you know, if, if we're getting a loan in the state for, you know, we're putting 20% down and we're leveraging five times and it's really like the deals down here would have to do five times as, as good, you know what yeah. I mean? To, to kind of even equal what we can do there. And the market here, I bought property here actually before too. And so I've gone through that process and it's uh it's just totally different there's no MLS you know that like nothing's transparent uh, you get multiple answers from people about the same thing like you know I was working with Colombian agents and uh, some like uh, expat agents you know and most of them only have like a few properties that they're listing some will even like list the same property for different prices so it's just like a total total mess you know um, not that you can't find good deals down here uh, and i do think that this city has a, a lot going for it um but in terms of ease just so much easier and return just so much easier in the u.s from what i found
2: oh that's so funny i can see it in their like in their deeds it's like your property line is from the the one three to the other three and then back to the big <laughs> rock and you're like what what big rock like which yeah what are you talking about that's amazing. And, and every time I, I love asking that to people, they invest and they live, live out, of, out of the country because it really reminds me of the beauty of living here in the States and how mm-hmm. easy it is to do business, get business, get loans, and really grow. Uh, and on that perspective, that for me, the States being born and raised in Italy, is, it's also very similar, right? Like business there is just, it's just hard. Like buying houses, mm-hmm. it's is, is hard. Like not, nothing is as easy as it is here, um, when it -hmm. comes to lending and growth and, and just opportunities. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah, And especially now, I mean, we have the lowest interest rates in history. Like it's almost like free money. If you can get a loan for a property, you know, and if, if the rent's paying it, then it's like, you're getting a a free property, you know, Mm -hmm. it's just, it's, um, yeah, we've got, we've got a really good, um, as U S citizens
1: for sure. So what's, uh, What's your goals now for like 2021? Are you, are you still doing, looking for that blended portfolio of some short-term, some long-term, like kind of walk us through your thought process on what your outlook is for 2021?
0: Yeah, I've kind of got, uh, I guess like three things going right now. So this lease arbitrage is new. They're still under construction, uh, but they're supposed to finish in like March. So I'm thinking by April, I hopefully, uh, May or April, hopefully have that all up and going. You know, so that'll be cool. That's 10 units in a really cool spot of town above a restaurant. So that'll be, that'll be fun. Um, I'm also, I bought a, like a small retail center last year or old strip center, and I'm uh, putting a laundromat in it. So mm-hmm. that's, uh, it, that's in Memphis and it's gonna, you know, my main housekeeper there, Memphis goes to laundromat multiple times a week right? So to do all so of our linens for our properties, <laughs> kind of, it's not a laundromat yet, but, um, it, it will be. So I'm, uh, I've already demoed the whole thing and like put in, it needed a lot of work too. It was, but it's actually in a pretty decent area. Um, and so I've been learning a lot about the laundromat business and I'm hoping to have that up by July, which will help serve all the short term rentals because we're going to have like a pickup and delivery component to it. Um, you know, so you could just drop off fresh linens, pick up the dirty ones from the property. So that's a big, that's probably my biggest thing this year. Um, and then I am going to be most likely, it's not like hundred percent, but probably exchanging my last units out of California for um, somewhere else.
2: You know, nice. acquiring some more properties. I, I love the entrepreneurial brain when it comes to short term rentals, right? Because we, we we think vertically integrated at all times mm-hmm. right so and it's funny i had never heard somebody say well like yeah i just i just i'm just gonna have a laundromat right like just <laughs> that that makes sense right like it's just like no. as as short term rental operators there's all the service business that goes into short term rentals or houses you can literally grow and branch out we had another guest that had a, a carpet cleaning business and that's where he found a lot of properties that he ended up owning and managing. And it just, mm. it's just so, so brilliant. Um, and I love it. I, I love the fact that, that you're getting into a completely different industry and I'm, and I'm sure there's a lot to learn, but that is one of the more profitable businesses, dry cleaners and laundry massive have made people a lot of money.
0: Yeah, you know, I originally it was kind of like a joke. I'm like, oh, we should just get our own laundromat. And then I mentioned it to my broker and he's like, hey, this property came up. I think it might be a good location for a laundromat. And it looked like a disaster. I mean, it'd been vacant for like four or five years probably. Uh and I'm like, Well, and it but it's close to all my properties. So I was like, Well, maybe I just get it and put some machines in there. You know what I mean? We'll do them there instead of doing it somewhere else. So I'm like, okay. So we kind of started the process. And then the more I started looking into laundromats, I'm like, Oh my gosh, this is like a really fascinating business. It can do really well. Uh, and so now it's gone into this, like, you know, now I'm going to use like almost all the space for the laundromat. And um, I'm pretty excited about, but it is one of the, you know, it is one of the more challenging pieces with the housekeeping component. Right. because um you know, it's hard to keep them consistent, especially if you're using like residential machines, it also the drying time, you know, if you're in a bunch of different units, a lot of times housekeepers are just waiting around for, for stuff to dry. So I think it's, it's going to help quite a bit, make sure it's more consistent. I mean, those, those machines clean better too, because they're hotter temperatures and they're commercial. So it should, it should help out quite a lot, I think. Um, So I'm excited for that.
1: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, plus you, you'll have the space. You could almost have like your full inventory. I know people that'll rent storage containers or whatever, just to have like an inventory of linens and towels and just pick yeah. up, drop off. Boom. So are you going no, to, are you think? That's a good point. It has uh, a
0: store. Th- it has a, another unit. We actually turned into a storage already. It's like a centralized storage. So, yeah.
1: And that's the beauty of, of when you have enough units in one market, you get those economies of scale. And right when mm-hmm. I got going, it was it was nice. Like we got in five different states pretty quickly. Improved the concept, and it's working great. But I don't have the economies of scale in all of those markets, right? So mm-hmm. my I've got two units in North Carolina, one in Florida, two in Dallas, you know, two in New Hampshire, mm-hmm. a bunch in Massachusetts. But when you have thirty or twenty in a location, you definitely get those economies of scale that way. We were yeah. just interviewing a gentleman. He's got 300 units over in the UK now. Oh, wow. Yeah. And he's going to 500 this year. And just oh, wow. the economies cool. of scale, I mean, it's a it's a big operation now. But when mm-hmm. you have those economies, you know, in-house cleaning staff, things like that, he can just smash everybody else from a price standpoint on those things. Mm-hmm. Um, but with the laundromat, are you going to run that as like a separate business too? Like coin up full on laundromat yeah. for revenue? Okay.
0: Yeah. yeah, so it'll be um, it'll be open to the public. Uh, I don't plan on actually using a lot of the new machines you can do without coins now. So don't plan on doing any of that. And then we'll use it uh, for our own stuff. So I'll have like a drop-off service. Um, but then I also want to do the pickup and delivery, which is really cool because that's going to hit like a, uh, a different income demographic, right? You have like the public coming in that is using it themselves and then a whole nother the whole other side of the demographic that you can do the pickup and delivery, which we were going to do anyways to deliver to the property. So yeah. um,
1: you could even have a whole niche just on short term rentals. People just literally having a whole business just for that service.
0: Totally. I, I was actually using a service like that. I mean I've tried out a lot of different things over the days and um you know they just weren't doing a really good job, I guess. So we started, you know, housekeepers are doing it themselves in the laundromat. And so um but yeah, it's, I'm excited for it, I guess. <laughs> and, and it's, I mean, it's, it's an investment too, right? I mean, the cool thing is it's like I own the property. So the better my laundromat business does, the better, the more valuable the, the business is, the commercial
1: property. And that's exactly uh, what I was going to ask you. Like what, I have no clue. Like what are profit margins on, on a laundromat, right? Like what's a good ROI on a laundromat?
0: Um, so... I think a lot of people make it at least like 20% cash on cash, but up to like, I mean, and up much higher than that too. And that's before accounting for, and that's just as a public laundromat, you know, um, not doing the pickup and delivery. I've, I've been seeing quite a few people that are doing so well with their pickup delivery, especially in like times like this with COVID, where everyone wants everything delivered, where they're using their laundry the whole time and they just shut down the public side of it. Cause they're using it the whole time, so I the the pick up and deliver really has a lot of room to grow um, because it you know basically can hit a whole city really.
1: So. Yeah, and you charge a premium for it. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm.
0: and it's also like you know a lot of people do it on like a subscription, or once they do it once or twice, then they just they continue to do it. You know what I mean? Because they're they trust the service. They're like, hey, I hate doing laundry anyways. This is perfect. You know. Um, so it's, it's pretty, uh, at least, you know, from what I've seen, it, it's pretty consistent when you get, um, get, when it's running properly.
1: I'm fascinated. Cause I've been trying to find a service that'll pick up my laundry and deliver it back. Cause I hate doing it. <laughs> I yeah. Don't do yeah. It. I we don't want like to have a housekeeper either. come in just cause of COVID yeah. and everything. So I'm like, I yeah. just want somebody to pick it up, wash it and take it back. Yeah.
2: yeah. No. So. I love that.
1: So that's great. So, I mean, for you, and again, just to kind of recap, so you've got kind of a lean team in place. Who's, who's handling the guest communications Is that that ops manager in California, I think you said.
0: Yeah. So we've got guests. the first step, right? So they handle, we, we pay for the reception and service. Um, And we really try, we try to answer everyone's questions, of course, like before they even have them. So we have automated messages that go out, to check-in instructions, we use digital guidebooks, we do everything we can to get them the information they need. So we really don't, I mean, and you guys know this, I mean, like a lot of people will instant book, they get your instructions and they check in. And a lot of our guests were like, we're not even talking to sometimes, right? um, outside yeah. of the message we send them automatically. So, so guess these our first step and that handles the majority of everything, uh, including, uh, all the reservations. So, so they do hundred percent until we get the reservations. Uh, and then they do everything they can after that as well. If there's something they can't answer, then yeah, that would go to, uh, Jeff, um, and then if not, or, or a housekeeper, depending on the market, we have it going into a couple different ways, but we use a, you know, a business phone line that they call. And if the first person's not available, then it goes to the second or then the third. Um, so.
1: Which phone system is that just out of curiosity?
0: We're using phone.com. Um, and it's. That's pretty good. Basic. I mean, it's a little tricky getting it set up with Airbnb because they don't recognize like virtual numbers. I don't that's know what I was going to ask you because
1: I use yeah. UMA and they don't let me put my UMA number in there.
0: So we had, I have like another phone, actual phone line that I pay for and it just forwards. Um,
1: Genius. I love it. Yeah. See so, little tidbit. I, I love these episodes because I always get <laughs> a nugget out of it too selfishly. Yeah. So yeah, that's awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: No. So, okay, cool. where as a, as a real estate as an ex former real estate broker, um, I'm very curious to hear your opinion on, on the hospitality industry and where do you see it going back to 2021? Um, and, and where do you see some opportunities? Um, I think we, we're, we're starting to get a decent amount of listeners that are real estate agent uh, kind of space. So really um, kind of going back to, to your old self and your old life, um, what, mm-hmm. what are some tips that you would give people and also just your outlook on the year?
0: Yeah, no, that's a good question. And it's, uh, you know, gosh, it's uh, things have been changing so much, but uh, I would, you know, the hotel industry, no doubt about it. They've been hit harder than like, um, you know, almost all of them, you know, up there with office and stuff. So uh, or worse. Uh, I mean, the, basically the worst time they've had in our, in our lifetimes, this is the worst time for travel, right? Um, we've sort of had an unfair advantage, I think, uh, as short-term rental operators, because we haven't had a lot of these, uh, restrictions that the hotels have, at least in the markets that I'm in. So, you know, these hotels that have been locked up, a lot of them have gone out of business already. And a lot of them are going to continue to go out of business, sadly, um, you know, unless things open up, um, So I think at the same time, you know, because people haven't been able to go stay in hotels, people are still traveling, right? But it's mainly more drive to destinations and stuff like that. Um, I think a lot of people have actually stayed in short term rentals, maybe for the first time this year, because Mm -hmm. they wanted a place, you know, maybe it was the only option, uh, or uh, they just like the idea of having their own private interests and not being near communal areas or in elevators or anything like that. So I think at the same time that hotels have had the worst year ever, uh, short-term rentals have, have gotten a little bit more visibility and the supply on the hotel side has gone down a little bit. I mean, there's some really big hotels that closed down, unfortunately, already. And, you know, in de- mainly in dense areas, you know, like Manhattan and uh, Los Angeles, like beverly hills places where some of these hotels have been around forever you know um and i think unfortunately if the restrictions and stuff don't don't uh, loosen up that more hotels are going to go out of business um so i think there's a lot of opportunity for short-term rental operators because we have we have less supply in the market we have more people discovering short-term rentals we have more people working from home than ever so they can that, you know, they can go stay at places longer, like a staycation or something like that. So, um, you know, and and I don't know about you guys, but I was, did pretty well this year still. I, I took a drop in uh, occupancy, but it was still pretty good. A lot better than the long-term rentals. Uh, and that's without even having people traveling internationally right now, you know, for the most part. So when that comes back and everything loosens, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty bullish. I, I think that... Uh, it be really good for,
2: for short-term rentals. Yeah, 100%. I, I 100% agree as well. So I want to touch right.
1: on the hotel thing too because I actually got in the hotel space this year. We, mm-hmm. bought, we bought a boutique hotel in February, but we converted it and leveraged all the short-term rental systems. Like we don't have a front desk, so it's all contactless oh, awesome. check-in. And we did really well because I think it was just a different experience because people don't mm-hmm. want to wait in line. They didn't want to be around a lot of people, but if you can go right to your room And I mean, the location's amazing. Like it's literally beachfront. So the location's awesome. But like that's our play. Like we've got, we're closing on a 22 unit in March um, where we're going to implement the same strategy. So we're the challenge or the opportunity is lenders don't want to touch it. But if we target these mom and pop sellers that have owned it for generations, they own it outright and we can get like seller financing or get a little Mm -hmm. creative with it. And we have some capital Mm -hmm. to renovate them and implement the systems. Like we doubled the NOI on that property in nine months. It was crazy. Yeah. So I think yeah, there's that's awesome. where it's somebody's pain point. It's another person's opportunity or an opportunity to solve their problem. Like if they just want to retire, or get some consistent seller financing income. Yeah. Like I think mm-hmm. I don't, I don't see that working necessarily on the 200 unit hotels, but if you can find yeah. those 15 to 40 or 50 units, I think it could be a really cool business model for a lot of people.
0: I, I agree, and I guess when I was saying hotels, I was referring to those larger hotels, you know, the hundred plus unit ones where all the units are identical or they're very similar. Uh, I think there's a, a good uh, lot of opportunity for boutique hotels, you know, um, and and even kind of with the millennial generation, so like we kind of like more experience type stuff, you know, and we've seen hotels like design hotels and things like this popping up where they're building a lot of their hotel rooms differently and putting kitchens in them and stuff like that. So yeah, I think those smaller boutique hotels, I think there's a lot of opportunity. I'd love to, I'd love to have one. <laughs> if, uh, if, if an opportunity comes up. Um, yeah. It's really cool. And yeah, you can really cut down your expenses if you run it as a short term rental because you take the front desk out, you know, you don't have the, the employee costs that you would have. So, yeah,
1: it's crazy. I, I mm-hmm. We had a hotel consultant on last month and I was out of my personal curiosity. I was like, what's the average like OPEX on a hotel? And he was like, it's between 65 and 70 percent because there's so much overhead. And I'm like, mm-hmm. that's nuts. Like we we were at 41% this year. So just just reducing the expenses that much, never mind getting on all the other platforms and marketing right. it properly. Like it, mm-hmm. it's just wild. So I think yeah. again, I don't think maybe on the massive scale it works, but it's mm-hmm. almost like you know, the you know, that block that you're about to master lease, like it's kind of that mm-hmm. size community is money for this type of opportunity.
0: I think so. Yeah, this one I'm doing the least. I used to be a hotel it used to be a yeah. boutique hotel. So yeah, smaller 10 units, you know, it's got the commercial space downstairs with the restaurant and people be able to go into. So yeah, I think spaces like that are, uh, can do really well. Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Love that.
2: Awesome. Well,
1: I want to, I want to be respectful of your time, but before we get into our last question, first, I want to acknowledge you and thank you for coming on and sharing all your knowledge with us and all your yeah, success in the real estate industry, man. This has been thanks a lot of fun. And uh, where can folks, you know, learn more about you and what you got going on and see some of your properties?
0: Yeah. So um, rest methods, I have been, uh, last year, I started doing some live events for a lot of fun. And we actually like went through some of my properties, rented a tour bus and um fortunately I haven't been able to do that because of COVID stuff, but that website's restmethods.com. Um and I also have a podcast that I started a little over a year ago. It's called Short Term Rental Riches. So people can check those out. Those are those are like short, quick episodes for the most part, like 10 to 15 minutes, just like an actionable item that I either use in my business or that I'm exploring that that could potentially help someone with a short term rental. Um, and then my my management company's midtownstays.com so that's where we have our uh, properties listed i guess Lovely. i mean we'll
1: we'll link all this up in the start. show notes for folks to to check all this good stuff out cool love it so the last question that we ask all of our guests is what is your number one secret to success with short term rentals
0: um you know i guess this might go beyond short term rentals a little bit but but I would just say it's con- consistency, you know, um, just working at, at it a little bit every day and just constantly improving it, you know, um, and, that, and that in terms of growing your portfolio and stuff, too. I mean, it, we always have our ups and downs, but if we just keep doing a little bit every day, then, you know, before we know it, we're in these cool projects and, and things are going well. So I would say just, uh, just consistency. Continually working
1: at it. Awesome, man. Well, thank you again, Tim. Really appreciate you coming on. I'm definitely gonna check out the podcast and all these different sites when we get off here. And uh looking forward to keeping in touch and uh seeing what what, what you got in the pipeline for 2021.
0: For sure. Thank you guys. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, absolute pleasure.